us by our heads, family. Just get quiet for just a minute. Just recognize His presence in this place. I mean, that's why we came. Let's just get our hearts open, spirits tuned in. Drop off the stuff that should have been dropped off in the parking lot before you came in. Let's just take a minute. Wake us up, Lord, not just this morning, but to life and to your kingdom, to the eternity that's what's coming, what we need to be doing. Thank you for your promise. We just love you and praise you. We glorify you, Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Okay, so thank you, John Ortberg, Bob Russell, Warren Wiersbe, William Barkley, several others, but mostly thank you to the person that asked me to talk about this today because this is one of my favorite subjects. Uh, you all remember a famous NASA rocket scientist by the name of Edgar Wisenot? Anybody remember him? Maybe this will help. His claim to fame was back in the 1980s when most of the population thought this guy was a genius. And they thought he was a genius, you know, partly because he's a rocket scientist, and they set the standard for intelligence. That's why we say things like, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand it. Okay, so he's a rocket scientist, and he, he had written a book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988, and they couldn't keep it on the shelf. Four million copies immediately of this book. And in the book, he said that he was so sure that the rapture would be between September 13th and September, or September 11th and 7th, 13th in 1988. And the only way he could be wrong is if the Bible was wrong. Well, of course, when September 14th came and the roll had not been called up yonder, and we're still here, there were a lot of puzzled Christians wondering what's going on. Well, this is a rocket science, scientist, so he got out his calculator and went over his numbers and he made a mistake. It wasn't September 13th, it was September 15th. So he said, look towards heaven and smile because Scotty's getting ready to beam you up. So everybody's excited about that. Well, the 15th came and went. Nothing happened, obviously. So he changed to October 3rd. And when October came and went, people started using his book as a coaster on their coffee table. I mean, that's what I used mine for, you know, it was a good book. But there's been lots of geniuses like that through the years that are trying to uh, solve some of God's biggest mysteries. I remember one of them uh, said that um, he had figured out who the Antichrist was. It was Barney, the little dinosaur Barney. He said, seriously, uh, you read in Revelation chapter 13, verse 18, that the mark of the beast will be the number 666. He said, that's Barney's number. And all you got to do is calculate it. You change the R's and use to V's, which is uh, proper in the Latin, and then you extract all the Roman numerals and insert Arabic numerals instead, and you come up with 666. And the guy was serious. It was amazing throughout the years how many people have spent their entire life trying to figure out an, a, a mystery of God. And, and I'm telling you, probably nothing can get goofier any quicker than this whole study of eschatology, which is study of the end times. Um, one of my favorite subjects, by the way, um, and I would agree with most generations that we're close, but I also think we've got to be very wary of anybody who says they can predict when Christ is coming back. I'm going to read a, a scripture to you this morning, and I'm going to ask you a very simple question, okay? Here's the, here's the uh, 
Here's the scripture. Mark 13, 32. This is red letter, so this is from Jesus himself. No one knows about that day or that hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You don't know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task. Remember last week? Each one does its work. We just talked about that. And then he tells the one the door to keep watch. Therefore, you keep watch because you don't know the, an- the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Remember that scripture? Okay, here's my question. And when I ask this, I want you all to answer. Everybody plays, okay? And I, wanna, I want you to answer with absolute conviction, I don't know. Okay? Here's the question. When's Christ coming back, church? That's right. Tell the person on your left, I don't know. Tell the person on your right, I don't know. And you know the drill. The person behind you in your best Elvis voice, I don't know, baby. Yeah. That's right. Now, you read this text, two things immediately. We don't know when he's coming back, but the other thing is he's coming. He's made that very clear. He's coming back. Now, that's important. John MacArthur did a, uh, he was at a convention of Protestant ministers in Evanston, Illinois, not too long ago, and he said 90% of those ministers agreed that they did not expect a literal return of Jesus Christ. said that we have minced his words and mixed things up, that he was actually talking about a return in your heart when you become a Christian. That's spooky thinking to me. But I'll tell you what's even scarier to me, and that's how many Christians are running around today that aren't given any thought or any expectation at all of the second coming of Christ. I talked to a woman just last week. She said, I don't think about that much. I I know I probably should, but I just don't. I mean, come on, man. You're reading the papers, right? You're seeing the headlines? You're seeing all the smoke in every corner of the earth right now? I mean, that's not a very smart way to live. Mark Edderberry writes, is the second coming anything more to you than a pot line for a series of novels? Do you truly believe that before this day is over, Christ could appear and usher in the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan? Have you built your life on that possibility? Can you honestly say your life is in order and that you've made all the necessary preparations and that you'd be ready to welcome Him without fear or embarrassment? Do you think about His coming and hope for it every day? If not, he says, it's high time you gave our Lord's return some serious thought because no matter when it is, the clock is ticking. I think he's right. Now, I don't know very many people who are more interested in eschatology than I am. I mean, you go in my library. i got every book that's written on it the last 20 years. I've studied it. I've read it. And I still feel like I'm ignorant as a hog on this subject. And by the way, if you have a cute little pet pig at home and you were offended by it, don't send me an email. I was just kidding, all right? But I really feel like I'm in the dark when it comes to this whole business of eschatology. But there's three unmistakable truths that shine out of the darkness even for me in this text. And here's number one. He's coming back. He's coming back, folks. He's made that abundantly clear. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7. And the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. First John 2, 18. Dear, dear children, it's the last hour. I mean, we need to understand something. Nothing else has to happen for Christ to come back. We don't have to have the white heifer, the red heifer, and they don't have to start sacrificing and rebuilding the temple. None of that has to happen. You and I need to live like it could be today because you know what it might be. It could be. And personally, I think it's genius of Jesus to leave it at that. For him to say, hey, you just better keep your eyes open because it could be any minute. I think that's a genius. There's a, what I consider a speed trap 
just north of Bloomington on 37. And I call it that because in the 33 years that we've lived down here, I've, I've seen more people pull over up there than any place else. Remember, I used to drive that back and forth every day to IPL. And because of that, when I'm driving in that section right now, I drive like a super Christian. I drive the speed limit. I use my signal when I change lanes. I never look at my phone. I smile when I look out the window just in case. Because you never know when a cop's coming by. And I just let all the idiots pass, all the other drivers pass me, you know, as they want to. But trust me, man, if I knew when they were coming, if I knew when they were going to be there, I would adjust my speed accordingly. I mean, that's the way we are. I think Jesus is a genius. By not telling us the exact day he's coming back, he's removed the temptation for you and I to live any way we want to and straighten up our act the week or the day before he comes. He's given us some motivation to keep our lives in order at all times because, listen to me, you don't want Christ to come back and catch you doing that. You know, whatever that is for you, you don't want that to happen. I read last week in my study about a guy who uh, was listening to his preacher drone on and on and on on the subject of the second coming of Christ. By the way, do you feel like your preacher's droning on it? Be careful with that one, all right? But anyway, it was a good sermon, and he was talking about uh, how, uh, how much fear and mostly embarrassment would be involved if Christ came back and caught you in a compromising position. And this guy said he actually went home and broke off an affair that he was starting to have with a gal that he had uh, started talking to on Facebook or online. And he's at home and he's looking back over high school people and got to talking to one, you know how that goes. <laughs> goes on all the time. And he said, I got to thinking about this sermon how embarrassed I would be, how guilty I'd feel, how much fear would be involved. I broke it off. I think it's genius of Jesus to not tell us when he's coming back. Having said that, he also said, you can look at a fig tree and tell when summer's coming. You ought to be able to see the signs of the time and know that the end is near. Now, I'm not quite ready to put one of those signs on, the end is coming, the end is coming, and walk up and down Kirkwood, uh, but I'm close. I don't think she'd let me do that anyway. Here's point number two. Unfortunately, there will be a lot of people who won't be ready when he comes back. He's made that very clear. And if he comes back and they're not ready, they're going to be at least embarrassed and maybe worse. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it'll be when the Son of Man comes. That is true in Noah's day. There was a lot of evil. In fact, the Bible says that men's hearts were only evil all the time. But I don't think that's the point Jesus is making here. If he was going to talk to us about a world going wild, I think he'd use a little stronger language than banquets, weddings, and parties. You know, we all do those things. I asked Dennis Duncan Wednesday night, I said, hey man, give me a good definition of marriage. And of course, his sweet little wife wasn't there, so he said very confidently, let's see marriage. Very expensive way to get your laundry done for free. That's marriage. (laughs) One gal told her husband, she said, I was actually a fool on the day I married you. And he said, I know that, babe, but I married you anyway. Anyway, my point is we've all been to lots of weddings and parties and banquets, and I don't think we go wild. I don't think that's the point Jesus was making. I think the point Jesus was making is when he comes back, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of people that aren't ready for it. They're not going to be prepared for it. It's like that woman who said she just doesn't think about it often. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of us doing that today because of life. 
got mortgage payments to make. You got to pick up the dry cleaning. You got the kids to soccer, and you got to get them to swim, and you got to get them to baseball, and you got to get them to hockey, and you got to get them all these different things. You want to do more with God. You want to do more for His kingdom, but life just gets in the way. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Which leads to point number three. None of us need to be caught unprepared. Hear me? None of us. This shouldn't happen to any of us. Christ is coming back. We know it. We ought to get prepared. If you need a pep talk, read through uh, the 24th and 25th chapter of the book of Matthew. Jesus goes on and on and on in those two chapters about how important it is for you to be ready when he comes back. And he, in fact, he drives it home with six illustrations. A homeowner and a thief, a faithful servant, an unfaithful servant, ten bridesmaids, servants left in charge of their master's stuff, the dividing of the sheep and the goat. My point is, you're not going to find any place else in all the Bible where Jesus uses six illustrations in a row to drive home a point. He wants us to make sure we get this. He's coming back. He's coming back and lots of people are not going to be ready when he gets here. I'm just telling you, it doesn't have to be us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all used the same language when they talked about this. They said, stay alert, stay alert, stay awake, keep watch. And the point is, it's not like you and I are going to openly defy Jesus when he comes back. It's that we're going to sleep through it. We're going to be drifting along doing life when he shows up, and we're going to be so embarrassed we weren't ready when he came. One of the biggest points of significance of the return of Jesus is this tremendous sense of urgency that we should feel of all the people around us who don't know him yet. That's why we're making disciples who are making disciples. That's why we talked last week again about being shaped, formed, called, and sent out. That's what we're supposed to be doing in a big way. 2 Timothy 4.1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. One translation says, I solemnly urge you, preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. Gently rebuke and encourage and instruct because he's coming. Hebrews 10.25, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Over and over again, we're reminded the Master has entrusted us with His house. You and I are in charge of the Master's house, His stuff, and His people, and His kingdom, and His church until He comes back. We do not want Him to come back and find us not doing what He told us to do. We have one life, one chance to get this done. And when He comes back, we want to make sure we're doing it. And he's coming. When's he coming, church? I don't know either, but it's soon, I think. I'll give you an example. He's given every one of us in here people to love. People around us in the neighborhood, the people we work with, people we go to school with, our family. And we've been given this one thing. We have this one life to get this done. This is what he told us to do, love one another. And some of us are so busy right now, we're not getting that one thing done. Working so much overtime, trying to make so much of this, trying to get so much of that, that we're not getting one thing done that needs to be done. And we got people in our life that, that need to be forgiven, and people in our life that we need to ask forgiveness, and people in our life that we haven't talked to. Some people in our own family we're mad at, haven't talked to them for weeks. How about it, church? You got anybody in your family right now that needs to hear you say, I'm sorry, or needs to hear you say, I forgive you? Is there anybody in your life right now that needs to hear you just say, I love you? Because you don't tell them enough. This is your one chance to get that done. Maybe you're sitting next to them today. If you are, reach over right now and grab their hand. Squeeze a little bit and put your arm around them. Now listen to me. If you don't know the person next to you, no matter how good looking they are, don't do this, all right? <laughs> 
We've given one chance. And the master of the house is coming back. And when he does, we better make sure we're doing what he told us to do. Another thing is he's given us lots of stuff. I mean, we all got lots of stuff. Some of us a whole lot more than others. We all got lots of money. Guess what? It's not ours. We keep talking about it. It's not ours. It's the master's of the house. It's his money. It's his stuff. And he's coming back one day, and we've got to give an account. And we better be careful with every penny we spend and every piece of whatever we got that we're doing it for the glory of Christ, for the uh, enhancement of his kingdom, for the love of the people around us. We have one chance to get this done, and then eternity's coming. Now, I'll tell you what, I know it's true all throughout the New Testament. I, in fact, I got a lot of scriptures up on the board there. You can look them all up. All the writers in the New Testament, when they talk about the second coming of Christ, get ready to come any minute. And so here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about it. And so if we're not careful, the temptation is, well, maybe they misunderstood. <laughs> maybe he's changed his mind. I even hear that today. People are saying, right, you're crazy. We've got a lot of time left. Lots of things are going to get a lot worse. We've still got to do this, this, and this. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. I hear that argument all the time. Oh, 2,000 years we've been talking about this. Too. When do you think it's going to come? You know, we've we got several answers to that argument. The first one is this. Jesus Christ is a truth teller. He died telling the truth. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life, the Bible says. Do you really think that Jesus would tell the truth about everything else. I've never caught him in a lie. And then lie about the second coming? Yeah, I don't think so either. Secondly, he hates evil and injustice. I mean, we know he's gentle and full of grace and mercy. I mean, we've been talking extensively about that here in the last three or four weeks in our quest to, to, to tell the truth, that Jesus is very gentle. But I'm going to remind you something, family. I'm not hellfire and brimstone, but I'm going to tell you something. You don't want to get him riled up we got several examples of him riled up in the Old and the New Testament. And the Bible says our God is a consuming fire. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the Bible says. And you read through the book of Revelation, and you see the wrath that he's getting ready to unleash on the evil in this world, and it's ugly like nothing you've ever thought of. Thankfully, you and I are not going to be around to see that. Which leads to number three, you and I ought to be people of outrageous hope. I mean, we ought to be walking around with a grin on our face like Double D all the time, talking about just, he's alive again today and the devil hates it. Just happy to be alive in the kingdom of God, happy to go anytime he tells him to. That ought to be what you and I are all about. You know, there's over 300 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Which means no matter what goes on in your life, no matter what the circumstances are, so you run out of money or food. So he leaves. So she leaves. So the kids go wild. You know one thing we know? He's coming back pretty soon. When's he coming back, church? I don't either, but he's coming. And when he does, man, it's going to be glorious. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds. Can you imagine? We're singing that song this morning. And all the stuff that we keep seeing. I mean, it's in the headlines every day. It's just amazing. You know, in the 1900s, Schofield, the Schofield Bible, the famous study Bible, Schofield said in the early 1900s that there were going to be uh, a couple of nations come down from the north and attack Israel, and that was going to be the beginning of the final confrontation. And people laughed him off the planet. 
There was no Israel in the 1900s, early 1900s. They were scattered all over the world. In fact, they were being outnumbered by the Arabs in the Middle East 20 to 1. He said, I don't care, that's what the Bible says it's going to happen. And in 1948, miraculously, Israel becomes a nation again. It's a miracle. You ever read that? It was crazy. And they've been a controversy for 70 years. But today, if you said, well, Iran or Russia is going to attack Israel from the north and start the final countdown, people will say, oh, you're just trying to make current events fit Bible prophecy. Well, you can't have it both ways. Fifty years ago, there was a guy on the radio that predicted that the Antichrist would come up from the Ten Nation League in Europe. Ten nations in Europe. Are you crazy? I mean, the Iron Curtain had just split. Russia was kind of a failed state. They had some places all over, but there weren't ten nations in Europe. How could that happen? Do you know two months ago, Emmanuel Macron, who was the Prime Minister of France, started talking about how we can't trust the United States to protect us anymore in Europe, so we need to develop our own army. And last week, the 10th nation just entered in. And it's just fascinating stuff to watch this happen. I know when I was a kid, they used to say, well, when all this happens and you get the mark of the beast, if you get the mark of the beast on your hand or your forehead, then you won't be able to buy or sell anything. We thought, how in the world is that possible? My goodness, today with our cashless society and all the banking we do with our cell phones and online, no prophecy would be easier to fulfill than that one. The Bible says that when he comes, we'll be able to see, every eye will see when he comes. We used to think, well, how in the world is that going to happen? I mean, you know, lightning's pretty good, but it doesn't light up all the way around the world. And yet today, with our satellite technology, when we see something happen, we see it in real time all the way around the world. On and on and on it goes. Exciting times we're living in, folks. Behold, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who have washed their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Revelation 22:12. He's coming, and when he comes, man, he's going to put everything right. We've been watching this Serengeti Discovery Channel. I don't know if anybody's watching that. Fascinating stuff to watch the animals killing each other and eating each other, violent stuff. I'm thinking one of these days, that's all going to be put back together. Animals are, the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. They're going to eat each other. We're not going to be fighting with each other. Sin's going to be eradicated and death and all that. You just read through it. It's coming soon. Blessed are the ones, as Jesus said, are ready when that day comes, who've had their robes washed, can enter into the city. I'm coming, he says. Here's our washing, church. We do this every week as a family. Recognize his broken body and his shed blood and thank him that we can be prepared in season and out of season. We can be ready for his, his return if it's this afternoon. Not because we're good people and it fixed that one thing that we talked about this morning. It's that we've relied on him to forgive us. He's coming. Let's be ready. Let's come up this morning and spend some time with him.